Hello, my name is Michael Lloyd. I'm the principal of Wycliffe Hall in Oxford, and principal means uh, dean and president. Michael, thanks for joining us today on the Stone Chapel. It's really good to be with you. Yeah, we are here in your office in Oxford, which is just a delight. My first time at Wycliffe Hall. Well, welcome welcome to Wycliffe. It's very good to uh, be doing this on home turf. It's very nice. <laughs> it is. It is. One, your podcast uh, we co- recorded earlier this year on evil and suffering, uh, since you're known as Dr. Evil to well, many. indeed, yes. <laughs> okay, I can sort of see that in the, in the, in the smile sometimes. It's, it's the glint in the eye. It's the glint it's in the eye. It's swearing, isn't it? It is, just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But that podcast has done quite well, and we wanted to follow that up with a conversation about Wycliffe Hall and about the mission and the bit of the history and your role here as, as principal or, or dean thereof, right? Well, indeed. Um, well, Wycliffe uh, has been around since 1877. Okay. It was kind of a reaction to two things. One was the rise of uh, the Oxford movement, um, which was a, a much kind of higher church movement, uh, mm. Anglo-Catholic movement in the Church of England, um, and also the rise of higher criticism. Mm. And a number of evangelical clergy felt that people were not being trained well for ordination, for ordained ministry. Because of the focus on higher criticism, because of, yeah, it was kind of weakening people's trust in in the scriptures. I think, and okay. I, people, these, our founders felt that that was not equipping people well for mm. for Bible centered ministry, um, and so they set up Wycliffe Hall to supplement, not to replace, but to supplement what people were getting in the university and the lectures they were getting there. Mm. Is Wycliffe Hall related specifically to any particular denomination? Yes, it is a, an Anglican college. And we train people for primarily for ministry in the Church of England, but it's very, very open to people of all, all denominations. Um, and we've also trained people for ordained ministry in other denominations as well. Mm. Um, but it, it and it's Anglican. It, its worship is Anglican, and but that's fairly broad and fairly inclusive, and yeah. people might not notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long have you been the principal here? Well, I, I've been here for. Um, eight years now uh, and they haven't rumbled me yet which is okay um they're very undiscerning which i like in a colleague well in (laughs) undiscerning (laughs) in in the states typically a college president lasts about eight years before they burn out Uh, but you don't look like you're ready to burn out (laughs) i'm not not planning on it no okay uh no i'm actually i'm loving it and i'm i just think there's we've got more to do and I'm brimming, brimming with ideas, which some of which I'll share with you in a moment mm, or two. Good. Well, a part of the mission here is very unique. I mean, there are, I think we learned today, 40-something Oxford colleges. That's right, yes. And how how is Wycliffe Hall related to Oxford in that way? Well, it's only been part of the university since 1996, when Professor Alistair McGrath was principal of uh, mm. the hall. And he got it what is known as permanent private hall status so it's not actually a college because we don't teach all the subjects okay uh, we only teach theology and a bit of philosophy so it's, it's part of the university but it's not a college as such okay so it's not one of the colleges but it was given this permanent private status that's right in 1996 that's okay right. yeah. and and is there an ongoing kind of review by the college i mean almost everybody 
and the states understands accreditation. Yes. Is that your accreditation? Does it come through Oxford itself? Yes, yes, yes. Everything. All our courses are Oxford University courses, and uh, we are inspected by the university <laughs> uh, every every six years or so. Okay. And, uh, you got to file your reports. And... Have to file our reports. Make sure our policies are up to date. And right. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, how has COVID affected what you have been doing here? Well, COVID itself, we were very fortunate in the sense that a we had zero on-site infections during the whole first two waves anyway and also because our our local church St Andrew's Church very kindly let us use their building two days a week and it is big enough to sit 60 people socially distanced so we were able to keep teaching in person for most of the pandemic not all we had to go online for some of it and of course we had to do live streaming so that people who were you know, caught abroad, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, could still keep up with their lectures and their teaching. So did you learn all that technology stuff yourself to do, or did you have other people? This old dog had to learn a few technological new tricks. Okay. Yes, it just proves that new dogs, old dogs can learn It can, tricks. yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm I'm one of the least technologically minded of people, but but I managed to learn how to find my way around. Teams. I have a Catholic priest friend that calls calls me a techno peasant <laughs> because I don't really understand all the technology. Yeah, I, 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 th- I think I probably am a techno dinosaur. Maybe, but, there we go. but you had to learn it, and, and a lot yeah. of schools like Wheaton, for example, my my former school, mm-hmm. uh, they were sort of very resistant to doing anything online, and all of a sudden they found themselves doing everything online. Yes, yes. And uh, we, we were the same. Oxford's not been keen on online teaching before. and uh, But it, it kind of worked. Having said that, people were very, mm. very keen to come back to in-person teaching. Yeah. A number of people at the time said, oh, we've all discovered that we can do it all online and you don't need to be in person. And it's kind of revolutionized education as we know it. Yeah, and I thought well, that's not what my students are telling me. Yeah, my students are telling me, when can we get when back can we get back to normal? To normal, normal yeah. is whatever because, the new because new we are embodied is. beings and we're yeah. not avatars, and, right. and it makes a difference mm. to your interactions and your learning. So let's talk a little bit about the mission as yeah. as you find yourself among all these other colleges and halls and schools. What's unique about the mission of Wycliffe Hall? Well, I think what's unique about it is its place within the university. Um, We are both an academic college, unashamedly, and a confessional college, Mm. unashamedly. We're a Christian college, we're a worshipping community, um, we train people for ordained ministry, we're we're a Christian college. And yet we are also simultaneously an academic community, part of the academic community of Oxford University. And people sometimes say to me, you know, isn't it walking a bit of a tightrope that hmm. to which my answer is always absolutely not no if what we believe is true it will stand up to any criticism any analysis any evaluation hmm. um, and therefore we've got absolutely nothing to fear from nothing to hide nothing to hide uh, hmm. you know, let, let's subject it to let's throw the kitchen sink at it mm-hmm. it's going to stand up and therefore we've got nothing to fear but everything to gain from subjecting it to the most rigorous critique and you know the thing jesus added to the the shema Shema was the jewish prayer in deuteronomy 6 uh, you know hero israel the lord your god is one you should love the lord your god with all your heart your soul and your strength what jesus adds to that is and with all your mind Hmm. 
So he obviously took the, the, the life and service of the mind with extreme seriousness. And I think that's what we exist to do, to, to love God with our mind, to help people to love God with their minds, mm. um, and to help them not to be afraid of the consequences of doing that. So if somebody comes here, can they get an undergraduate degree? They can get an undergraduate degree, they can get a graduate degree, they can get a master's degree, they can get a doctorate. Okay. Yes, they can. They can do all that through Wycliffe Hall? They can do all that through Wycliffe, Okay. Yeah. That means you must have a pretty robust faculty then to help make um, that. I like to think so, yes. Uh-huh. No, we've got a, a fantastic faculty. And so all the kind of major, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, church history, philosophy, um, ethics, doctrine, systematic theology, all, all those sorts of things are covered. So we are focusing entirely at the moment on, um, on theology and philosophy. If a student comes to you and needs a course in physics or mathematics or political science, how does that work through your college? Uh, it doesn't currently work through okay. our college. Okay. Uh, we just do theology and philosophy at the moment. But we are currently thinking we're expanding that and, and perhaps I can take a run up at that and tell, Please you, and tell you why. Yeah, tell us why. It seems to me that our society is a bit of a turning point at the moment. Mm. It's beginning, I discern that it's beginning to get rather fed up with relativism, with the idea that all viewpoints and all faiths and all beliefs are equally valid. Yeah. Um, I think it's beginning to realise that that isn't working. It isn't, it's never been its friend. Yeah. Uh, it's never been the friend of liberalism, it's never been the friend of science, it's never been the friend of justice, it's never been the friend of journalism, never been the friend of beauty. Yeah. And, and yet, I was reading the other day, um, a British journalist called Matthew Dancona wrote about the infectious spread of pernicious relativism. I don't think somebody would have written that 10 years ago. Mm. That's a new development, and I think it's a really encouraging development. So the fact that it's infective and pernicious both, right? Um, I mean, it, that's, well, a pretty, that's a pretty bad commentary it, it, right it, there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not an encouraging statement, no. And yet, I don't think our society knows where to turn. So I think we have, as a church, things to say into that situation, which could really help our society to grow to a healthier worldview. Mm. And now, it really is about worldview, isn't it? It is. How you view things, how you view yourself, how you view creation, how you view one another. Yes, and that... How you, if, if you view, whether you view God or not. Well, exactly, and that's going to affect how you relate to one another and how you right. relate to the world and how you relate to yourself as, right. as subsets of how you relate to God, I think. Right. So... I kind of think that, and this is a ridiculously uh, grandiose vision, but I think we need a new renaissance of Christian scholarship and culture. At the moment, I think the church is losing the battle of ideas, and it's got to get onto the front foot. That's a cricketing analogy okay. rather than the baseball <laughs> one, but um, I think well, you'll, you'll get throw me fresh. a curveball on that one. So <laughs> <that's good. laughs> and we we've got to be proactive about that. So one of the things that we uh, want to do at Wycliffe to help foster a new renaissance of Christian scholarship and culture is to train people in every discipline, not just in theology, but train academics to be to mentor Christian academics in every field. Mm. So they would come here uh, to, to study for a doctorate in physics or in chemistry or in Spanish literature or whatever it might be, or sociology. We wouldn't teach them quantum mechanics because we don't know about that. Um, <laughs> they get that in the faculty. Sure. 
but we would help them to think through what they're studying in the light of their faith and their faith in the light of what they're studying yeah. so we would help them to be thoroughly Christian academics again being critical and confessional at the same time yeah. Yeah. And, and I think people like that have an, in, an extraordinary impact on culture and on society people you think people like C.S. Lewis you think people like Dorothy Sayers um, or John Polkinghorne in the scientific world these are people who've had a huge impact yeah. and we want intentionally and um, proactively to train people in so there was somebody in every department who's thought things through from a Christian perspective you know when I think about Renaissance I think about music and art too yes. as well so how does that fit in to, to this grandiose vision that you're talking well about? You know, that's where the word culture comes in right um, we currently have at Wycliffe an artist in residence which I'm delighted about because uh, it seems to me that artists and composers and poets and musicians everybody they shape what people can imagine and what people can imagine shapes what they can believe so i think christian artists and composers poets playwrights have a vastly important role to play in shaping the culture and making it more amenable to the gospel so we want to uh, build on that i, I met somebody the other day who given up uh, he sold his company in the city and was using the proceeds uh, to help churches to commission new works of art that sort of thing i think we've got the church when it's been strong has always been a patron of the arts mm. now it's not strong and it's not a patron of the arts and i wonder if these two facts are mm. in any way related mm. i would love us to get back to the situation where we're capturing the imaginations of people through really really fine uh, works of art and, and music and dance and, and sculpture. I've seen a number of scholars sometimes talk through some of the great works of uh, art, meditating on a Rembrandt painting. Yes. And uh, it, it's amazing what can be drawn out of there. I mean, for a person that's not schooled in the arts, the kinds of insights that can come through meditating on one of these great paintings. Well, we are made in the image of God, and God is the creator. So we're made in the image of the creator, so we are creative. That's what it is to be human. It's part of our calling. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't surprise me that the work of a wonderful, wonderful uh, painter like Rembrandt speaks to us in ways and at levels and at depths that can't be reached any other way. Right. Um, and, and, and music can do the same thing Music well. absolutely right. can do the same thing. Another thing that I think about when it comes to Renaissance is the fact that we had printing that was beginning kind of at that at 1450 or so when that happened and the creation of so many books and pamphlets and such is that part of the vision as well the, I mean the writing up of all this the thrilling of the imagination through literature through... absolutely we, we had a, a talk at Wycliffe recently from a chap called Ross King uh, who's written a book called the bookseller of Florence mm -hmm. who was the person in the Renaissance in Renaissance Italy at the heart of what was going on who spread it yeah. and you'd go to him and say can I have a complete works of Cicero and he'd get them written out he'd do a critical edition he'd compare all the different manuscripts that they got and then wow he actually did handwriting rather than printing because he thought that printing introduced too many errors uh -huh. which is interesting yeah, it is but he was the disseminator uh -huh. of all that was all the learning that was being done the scholarship that was being done and it made me think what's our equivalent and of course there is publication but I wonder also whether the whole AV 
it kind of internet podcasting all of that um, those sorts of areas are also quite important that we provide resources mm. uh, at that level all new technology has been used for good and for ill right um, but, but we've got to use it for good and but technology changes too so quickly right it, I mean it does just the handheld phone that is now also a computer well, is so so powerful. Here we are sitting around a, 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 an interesting little machine that you a pocket size <laughs> machine that you brought with you. Yeah, and Put it can on be plane, heard all yeah. around the world. Exactly, um, just this world at the moment. But and, we'll work well, on, we can work on that. We're going to get it around the rest of the world. <laughs> uh, one one thing that that I'm here to do is to talk about our work at Yarnton Manor. Yes, as the Linear Theological Library is is expanding. Yes. And uh, we're going to be working together, apparently, in the future, if things go to plan. Well, I'm really looking forward, we're all really looking forward to that uh, here at Wycliffe. Um, Yarnton Manor, for those who don't know, is a wonderful old Jacobean manor and estate about four miles, four or five miles north of, mm -hmm. of Oxford um, that the Linear Foundation has just bought. And it's, it's a thing of beauty and real historical interest. Built in 1611. Built and we, in, in fact, we saw some signs yesterday carved into the wall that had the year 1611 built. Yep, uh, yeah, uh, it's one of those modern buildings. Well, it's you know, modern, yes, yeah, yeah very modern. <laughs> but there are, there, there are some Norman-era uh, buildings on the property as well. We are now on 60 acres there. We I don't know if you've been told that, but we've bought another uh, house there with okay. some acreage and some other acreage. So it's going to be about 60 acres altogether. And there's a very beautiful church there as well, which is... Right. Uh, adjacent to the site, I think, exactly. and, and very, very beautiful. Um, so, I mean, the Linear Foundation has you know, built its library in, in Houston, and any organization that puts a lot of money into a library takes scholarship seriously, because that's what it's for, takes knowledge seriously. And I think libraries are the powerhouses of intellectual renaissance and thought. So, in the early days of uh, the evangelization of this country, it was done mainly by uh, the monasteries yeah. and powered by the libraries. So Bede's Library in Jarrow um, was just where the thinking happened and was stored and was drawn upon and was used. And it was like a magnet too as well. It people. was a complete magnet right. from all around Europe. Mm. Uh, manuscripts and people and things would be brought books would be brought mm. Benedict Biscop would go off to Rome and come back with new books for his library and this at a time when books had to be printed out by hand they were all handwritten and they were huge things because yeah. they were made of parchment right uh, which so is animal vast. skin basically right? a, po a pocket bible was a contradiction <laughs> in terms unless you were Goliath I guess right yes yes so, but it, they are, and what we hope to do is build here in the next year. We hope to build a, a wonderful theological library that will complement the libraries that are in Oxford and work collaboratively with uh, your college and others as well. Well, we are looking for with huge um, encouragement and, and excitement because I think beauty is actually really important. And that's one of the things you learn from the Renaissance too. Beauty does things; it changes things. It, and it speaks of God. It comes from. We often speak of God as love correctly, and of, as Christ as truth correctly, and of God as goodness. But we have slightly neglected uh, God as beauty. Beauty. And um, I think that beautiful bu buildings uh, are the ideal 
place in which to do thinking and engagement with God. Um, and they take us to a different place, right? There, you, you can have a library just with steel shelving and uh, fluorescent lighting, and you can have that. Yes. But when you have stonework and you have woodwork and you have yes. beautiful shelves, it's, it's different. Uh, lighting is, is important. And beauty and truth belong together. And yeah. actually, mathematicians know that. Hmm. Mathematicians know that, that they look at an equation and say, well, it must be true because it's beautiful. It's got beautiful simplicity. Oh. And uh, there is some, there's something about that, that that's hmm. beauty and truth should go together. Anything that uglifies our world, is, you, you've got to question it because it, it's, it's doing something wrong. Right. It's exactly. not fitting in some way. Mm. Well, we're looking forward to working with you. And I think, as I understand it, in 2023, some of your graduate work will move out to our property there at Yarnton. That's, well, that's what we're looking for. And um, that will be very exciting because our graduate community is a very vibrant one. And mm. um, But it don't, we don't have the space here to do with it what we'd like to do. So this is a huge opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to that. Dr. Michael Lloyd, thanks for being with us today it's, in Stone Chapel. It's, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks to Janet Seaford and Kathy Capes for helping us produce this podcast. Jocelyn Solis is responsible for promoting the Stone Chapel podcast on all of our social media. Thanks to Phil Keggy for our music. These podcasts are made possible by the generosity of Mark and Becky Lanier and the Lanier Foundation. If you have questions or comments or just want to be in touch, email us at podcast at lanierlibrary.org. That's podcast at lanierlibrary.org. Lanier is L-A-N-I-E-R. Thanks for listening.